We'll start uh, in Jonah 3.10. <clears throat> and God saw their works, that they, that they turned from the evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was now very angry. For he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was set in, yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repented thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat into it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from the grief of his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it, and that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast thou labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning. Especially so since we have opportunity again to open the word. To hear from our Lord. To be taught by the Holy Spirit. You know, if the book of Jonah... Ended in chapter 3. One might think all the loose ends were tied up. God showed mercy toward Jonah and allowing him another opportunity to carry out his will. God showed mercy toward the mariners, rescuing them from the divine tempest. God showed mercy toward the people of Nineveh by allowing them time to repent of their sin. Nineveh repents, the king of Nineveh himself repents and calls the nation under him to cry mightily to God. If the book ended right here at Jonah 3, verse 10, the reader might be inclined to consider things wrapped up. Jonah obeys, he goes to Nineveh, word of the Lord gets proclaimed, Nineveh hears and repents, the king of Nineveh receives the word of the Lord as well. The nation repents. 
God sees their works, that they turn from their evil ways and relents from bringing on the disaster he had formerly mentioned through Jonah. So we could have very easily a, a praise the Lord for God's goodness, a, a praise to the Lord for his mercy, praise to the Lord for his patience with us. And yet, there's more than three chapters. There's more here. There's one more chapter in this book. And in some ways, we return to where we began. Chapter 1, you might recall, begins with God and Jonah. Chapter 4 concludes with God and Jonah. It seems God is not quite finished with Jonah. The problem with the Ninevites, that's been remedied through the spirit-directed word of the Lord. You see, Nineveh turned from their very ways, the ways that God himself back in chapter 1 deemed as wickedness. Nineveh was now working in alignment with the word of the Lord. The mariners in chapter 1, they saw the wonderful works of God out on the sea. And no doubt continued to share the story of the Lord to those they encountered as they navigated the sea. The heart of God is manifested through the changed lives aboard a ship. The mariners. And the heart of God is manifested through the changed lives throughout a nation. Nineveh. question remains, what about Jonah? And chapter 4, I believe, starts to help answer some of that question. What does Jonah's heart look like? What does it look like toward God? What does it look like toward Nineveh? What does it look like toward his own nation? What does it look like toward himself? Let's begin in verse 10 to capture what's just happened. The text says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Reading that, one might suppose that the next verse, if there happened to be another verse connected to such a text, would be celebration, praise to God for His mighty work of salvation. Perhaps it would be a praise to the Lord that the lost are now found. Perhaps it might be a praise to the Lord that the blind can now see. A praise to the Lord that those who once were far away have now been brought into the family of God through the hearing of the word of the Lord. But that's not at all what you read in the text, is it? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. 
We're going to look in the text this morning at some wrong ways and some right ways. I believe there are a few right things that happen in this text. There are also some wrong things that happen in this text. Things that we can learn from. And right out of the gate right here in verse 1. See, a wrong way to respond to mercy. And in particular, God's mercy. A wrong way to respond to God's mercy. You start to realize that this is going a different direction when you read that first word. But. Sometimes in scripture that contrasting word but is a good thing. Here it's not so good. As good as things seem to be at the end of chapter 3, there's a but. Something contrary. An opposite reaction. A wrong-headed way of thinking regarding the, the events described in chapter 3. And you know, I got to thinking, have, have you ever been around someone who's like this? This, this person that good things are happening the Lord's work is advancing, and then someone voices a uh, but. And before they get another word out of their mouth, you already know it's headed down a wrong road. The joy and delight of what God has done is met with a but. You see, the person now is expressing his own heart. The Bible says something about that. In fact, Proverbs 18, verse 2, says a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. The proverb right before that, 18, verse 1, says a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. And then I put in Isaiah 53, well-known text, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So these three verses speak of your own heart, expressing your own heart, seeking your own desire, turning your own way. And you know, there are many slogans today that capture, cater to this mentality. You ever heard, have it your way? Or, we do it all for you. Or, you deserve a break today. You see, a lot of the slogans today, a lot of the advertising today, is geared toward you. Let's make you feel good. Because after all, if I can make you feel good, you might actually spend some money on my product. It's about doing what we can to make you feel good. Jerry Bridges says, going our own way is the very essence, the very core of sin. We have a natural inclination to go our own way. 
Jonah had been going his own way, and it led him into the sea, serving time in the belly of God's great fish. Jonah, in chapter 3, goes to Nineveh, text says, according to the word of the Lord, and preaches God's message of pending disaster upon the entire nation. You see, chapter 3 looks like Jonah is walking with the Lord and perhaps, perhaps he's changed his heart toward the people he once seemingly despised. But here's what chapter 4 does. Chapter 4 pulls back the curtain of Jonah's heart and allows the reader An inside look at what Jonah thought about the events in chapter 3. Side note. Jonah is the one believed to have written this particular book. He's giving us, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, an inside look at his heart toward the events that have occurred. In particular, toward what has just happened at the end of chapter 3. God relenting from his anger and his punishment toward Nineveh. The text says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. How could something so pleasing to God be such a turnoff to one of God's followers? How is it that the repentance of Nineveh could cause such a reaction from Jonah, this prophet, this man of God? And how is it that the mercy of God toward Nineveh serves as the catalyst for Jonah's displeasure? You see, the first verse in chapter 4 unveils a wrong way to respond to God's mercy. Up to this point, there's been an abundance of mercy poured out on behalf of God. We've seen it come forth, not just to Jonah, but definitely to Jonah. We see it initially in his initial disobedience. You know, God, we talked about how God didn't have to let him flee to Joppa. He didn't have to allow him to find a ship. He didn't have to allow him the resources to be able to pay to get on the ship. We see his mercy extended as well to the mariners. And we talked about how they too were guilty of sin. And how God, as he's dealing with Jonah, also dispenses his mercy toward the mariners. And then back to Jonah again, as he's tossed overboard into the sea. He's shown mercy, he's given a second chance. And the Lord provides a fish. To hold him for a time. And then we see his mercy extended toward the people and king of Nineveh. And God relented from destroying them. Seeing that they had turned from their evil ways. Jonah's response to God's mercy is hard to read about. And yet... 
how often do you and I operate in the very same way? The same mercy afforded by God to Jonah is afforded to you as well. Titus 3 verse 5 says, according to his mercy, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done. And yet how often do you spurn that mercy of God? How often does his kindness toward you get overshadowed by your desires, by listening to your own heart or walking your own way? The text chronicles the life of Jonah, and yet it can easily serve as a mirror, allowing the reader to see that perhaps Jonah isn't the only one holding to a wrong response to God's mercy. Notice that it displeased Jonah, the text says. The fact that God relented and did not do what he said he was going to do, this displeased Jonah exceedingly. Chapter 3 tells us he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, but in his heart he still seems to harbor a hatred toward the Ninevites. The text says that he became angry. You ever been angry? Raise your hand if you've ever been angry. I ought to see everybody's hand in the air. When's the last time you remember being angry? How did your anger get manifested? Did you yell at someone? Something? Did you throw something? Did you hit something? Did you destroy something? What stirred the anger in you? Does God ever ever get angry? Absolutely. In fact, some 500 references, give or take, of anger, and, and around 350 of those... God's the one getting angry. That's a lot of anger. So it it, it then is helpful to ask, if God gets angry, what is it that angers him? Do you know oftentimes he gets angry when his children decide to carry out the desires of their own hearts? When his children desire to express themselves? In their own way. When they desire to walk in their own way. Give us a king like all the other nations. We we just want a king. We want somebody we can see, we we can have. Just like all the other nations. Grant us the desire of our heart. He's angry when his children turn from his commandments and attach themselves to idols of their own making. You know, Jesus himself was angry, wasn't he? Probably one of the more well-known passages we, we, we refer to. John chapter 2, 
verses 12 through 16. He was angry in the temple. Why? Because the temple was being used for a purpose his father never intended. You might also remember the story. Jesus being angry one day in the synagogue. A man with a withered hand was planted on the front row. I do believe he was planted there. But the Bible tells us that it was a test. That they were testing to see whether or not he was going to heal this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And so he has the man come forward. And the man standing up there with him. And in Mark chapter 3 verses 4 through 6. Jesus says to them, is it lawful? On the Sabbath to do good or to do evil. To save life or to kill. The text then says, but they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Here we see an example of Jesus being angry because of the hardness of their hearts. But you know, on both occasions, whether we're looking at John or whether we're looking at the text in Mark, Jesus' anger is rooted in righteousness. It's not rooted in pleasing self or striking back at someone. Jonah's angry because he hasn't gotten his way. He wants to see the Ninevites perish. He doesn't want Nineveh to receive any blessing from the Lord. His anger is selfish. God worked for good on behalf of the Ninevites, and Jonah, according to the text, is found responding in anger. One writer says, getting angry with God implies that we do have certain rights. Rights which we think we have to defend and and which God is obligated to take account of. But that is nonsense. He owes us nothing and he's not obligated to go with your answer. You see, there are certain instances where righteous anger is needed. But on many occasions, the believer in Christ is angry because someone did something to him or became to him a real or imagined threat. Church, let's be angry about the things God gets angry about. Let's reserve this God-given emotion for God's purposes to further advance His cause, speak up for His name. Let's not take something God gives us and use it selfishly. The results are disastrous. And Satan wins every time. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. 
Read that again. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. You see, anger that is not properly dealt with can open up and set out a welcome mat for the devil. Think about that for just a moment. You just put out a welcome here mat for the devil whenever you harbor and keep your anger. Anger that is not dealt with, anger that is allowed to reside within you becomes a playground of sorts for the devil. It says, be angry and do not sin. Handle with care. Look unto Jesus for how to handle it. You know, I got to thinking, if there was ever a time If there was ever a time for someone to be inclined to get angry, it would have been the cross. The cross. There he is hanging on the cross, bloodied and beaten, nails in his hands and feet. And here comes the the leaders of the day walking by, taunting him, mocking him, the crowds jeering at him. If there was ever a time to get angry, it would have been at Calvary. But instead, he asks the Father to forgive them, for they know not what they do. And instead of reviling back, the Bible says he reviled not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Church, I want us to see at the beginning of Jonah 4. Jonah displays a wrong response to the mercy of God. What happens next? Look at the beginning of verse 2. Just that first line. So he prayed to the Lord. So he prayed to the Lord. All right, so we have a wrong response to God's mercy, but here's something I want to point out. I, I believe this is a good thing. A right way to respond to your anger. A right way to respond to your anger. Jonah may not see the situation as God sees it, but one thing he does right is that he takes it to the Lord in prayer. And I believe there's a wonderful lesson for each one of us. At the first sign of anger, take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask another question. What do you tend to do with your anger when it comes? You might do one of these two things. You might be quick to lash out, strike back, or you might be inclined to talk with someone else, to collaborate with someone else to gossip, to rationalize why you are right. 
and to gain a crowd around you. Church, we're called to cast our cares. And in this particular instance, these things that serve as anger catalysts in particular, take them to the Lord. Does your anger just tend to explode on someone? Do you continually feed your anger, adding wood to the fire? I worked with someone this past week. You know how oftentimes during the week leading up to preaching a message, it is is so interesting. I found it an incredible thing how often the Lord provides for me working illustrations. It happened this week. Working a game. Come to find out situation of particular referee and his dislike of a particular coach and what this coach did. Come to find out it was back in 2005. Well, this particular coach, this game was being played on a neutral court. It just happened to be played in the gym where this coach worked. And he happened to be there this night. Pulls out of his bag a letter from 2005 from this coach. And it was very obvious, painfully obvious, how much it was still brewing inside of him. These words that had been written from this coach. He kept it in his bag. And you know, I got to thinking how when we have something like that, is it good to keep a hold of it so that we can just keep pulling it out and reading it, reading it to other people, or just reading it ourselves? Because all it does, going back to the proverb, all it does is just it stirs up those coals, doesn't it? Stirs back up that fire. Puts more wood on there. Some of you might have emails. With words on them. Angry words. Get rid of them. Don't keep them. Why are you keeping them? Maybe that's a question you ought to ask. Why am I keeping it? The right response to anger is to direct it immediately to the Lord. Look at the content of his prayer, verse 2. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. 
Here, here I want us to see a wrong response to the character of God. A wrong response to the character of God. Do you see what Jonah's doing right here in verse 2? He's pointing out to God his own character as a reason for his own disobedience. Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my country? I knew your character, and that's my reason for fleeing to Tarshish. I I knew you would relent from destroying them if your word reached their ears. That's just the kind of God that you are. You're gracious and you're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. By the way, I found it interesting, too, that in two passages, and there may be more, but Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we see very similar descriptions of God's character. And perhaps Jonah here is taking those very words of God and thrusting them back at him. I know who you are, because I know what your word says. Remember, this is who you are. And in those two passages, there are similarities. In fact, the Joel text is probably very close in alignment with the text right here in Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2, in in these words that he's praying to God. And you know, I got to thinking about how, you know, the character of God applied to you. Isn't it great? I mean, you delight in that. You you see the need for God's grace in your life. You see the need for God's mercy in your life. You desire him to be slow to anger toward you. You desire for him to be abundant in loving kindness toward you. You desire for him to relent from doing harm. You. But that same character of God applied to someone else, to another nation perhaps, Nineveh. Don't want anything to do with that. that. That's different. The character of God, how about applied to an orphan, a homeless, that fringe person in society? How about the thief on the cross? You see, Nineveh represented the enemy to Jonah. And because of that, he built a wall up. All he wanted was God's wrath to be poured out on Nineveh. Let's set aside the other character traits of God for just a moment. Come on, God, I want to see your wrath. Because after all, Nineveh doesn't deserve it. And some of you might say, as one writer says here, I would never have that attitude. Yet every time you are jealous of the blessings, the talents, the friends, the family of others, You are expressing resentment at the goodness of God. Think about that for just a moment. Is it possible that you're claiming some kind of favorable position before God? Do you believe that he owes you one? 
You know, sometimes working the game, there'll be a tough call. One of those 50-50 calls. You go either way. Coach comes up, says something to you about it, and he says, you owe me one. No, I don't. I don't owe you anything. You see, because to say that I owe you one would then be to say that next time, I'm going to just cheat. How's that? I'll just declare I'll just cheat for you. Then I'll give you a call. No, I don't owe him anything. But you know, we think about this. Someone who goes through in life a series of bad circumstances. Lots of bad things come your way. And at the end of that, are you prone to think that God owes you now because you've just gone through so many trials? Or how about this? In light of this thinking about your favorable position before the Lord. Because you home educate, do you think you're in a favorable position before the Lord? Denominations abound. Many perhaps consider themselves in a favorable position because of where they're at. Or how about your good works? Well, I've done a lot of good things. And you see yourself in a favorable position because you've done these certain good works. There's an entitlement that you may feel you deserve. Because you've done something. Or you're a somebody. You've got a title. You've got a position. You see, Jonah had a wrong response to the character of God. Because knowing God's character ought not serve as a license for one's disobedience. But a catalyst for one's obedience. Look at the end of the prayer in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Here's what I want you to get on this. Wrong way leads to a wrong destination. Wrong way leads to a wrong destination. If you're going in the wrong direction, doing things your own way, expressing the desires of your own heart, don't be surprised to find yourself arriving at the wrong destination. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If you are going to persist in sowing to the flesh, you will reap a flesh-like result. You reap corruption. If you sow to please self, why would you expect to reap Everlasting life. If the farmer desires to get a corn harvest, he's not going to plant beans. If he puts the wrong things in the ground, he's going to get the wrong results. If parents don't take seriously their God-given role to train up their children in the way they should go, 
Don't be alarmed at the results. They too will go their own way. And that way leads to destruction, according to the scripture. If you sit on the couch and eat potato chips and drink pop all the time, don't expect to have a fit body, a healthy body. What you put into it will show. Amen? It will. If I punch in the wrong address on my GPS, guess where it's going to take me? To a wrong destination. Jonah concludes his prayer to God with therefore. He's drawing a conclusion here, inferring something. Since you're this kind of God, represented by the character in verse 2, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Since, Since you haven't done what I've wanted you to do, it's best right now to just let me die. After all, if I, if I go home now, I'd be ridiculed for contributing to Nineveh's blessing. What would my people think about this? Do you see some pride welling up, perhaps? James Boyce says, right here, speaking in the text, he asks for death again. Remember back when he was on the boat? He says, pick me up and throw me overboard. Boyce says, he asks for death again. Now, having obeyed, He's still unhappy and says once more he would rather die and get it all over with. You know how easy it is when selfish anger has control of the wheel. How easy it is to just take your ball and go home. Just quit. Just give up. Just throw in the towel. Stew in your anger and be done with it all. But church, I want to tell you, that's not where you want to be. It's a wrong destination. All the more reason to walk with God. Follow after Jesus. Say yes to his commandments. And stop going your own way. Because you see, your way, your own way, always leads to a wrong destination apart from God. Jonah said that it is better for him to die than to live. Really? Is it better? Boyce goes on and says, Jonah is not reconciled to the will of God even yet. Jonah's attitudes had not really changed. He was still unwilling to see the people of Nineveh saved, and he resented the God of mercy for having saved them. See, and because God's word had borne fruit in the lives of the Ninevites through Jonah's proclamation... Jonah now felt it better to just be done. It's better to die than to live. Notice that he's not longing to die to be with the Lord. He's longing to die to be done with it all. Much different than the Apostle Paul. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, I'm wrestling between whether to die or whether to be here or whether to be with the Lord. To be with Christ is far better, Paul says. Let's be clear what Paul's saying and what Jonah's saying. Jonah's saying... He'd rather die, not to be with the Lord, but to escape it all, to be done with it all, because God 
isn't doing what he wants him to do. If you aren't going to use me like I want you to use me, then just let me die, please. It just seems odd, doesn't it? Sort of like a player in the game telling the coach what he needs to do. That's not going to happen. Who's in authority here, Jonah? Church? Who's in authority? Now comes a question. A response from the Lord. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Here we have a right question from a merciful Lord. Right question from a merciful Lord. See God's first question right here in chapter 4. By the way, there are two other questions he will be asking. This first question right here. One writer says, it's a challenge to Jonah to judge whether the angry prophet or the great and holy God of the universe is right. It is as though God had said, we're looking at the identical situation in two different ways. Jonah, I'm pleased with it. You're angry. Which of us has the proper perspective? You see, whenever God asks that type of question, we must recognize that whatever our thoughts or feelings may be, it's always God who is correct and not we. We're not. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a what? Liar. You see, of all the responses God could have given at this point, I find it interesting that he opts for a question. Because after hearing what Jonah did, after hearing what he said, I don't know that I would have asked him a question. (laughs) God asks questions not because he's in the dark on something but to test you to help you see the right way to go or to point out that you're currently traveling down a path of sin it's almost as though God's saying you know if if I didn't get angry toward Nineveh should you why are you angry you know, is it right for you to be angry? You know, I, I was just thinking through, I, I came up with 10. There's probably several more we could come up with, but I was thinking about the question, is it right for you to be angry? Number one, I'm the Lord. I'm the potter, you're the clay. Number two, I have relented from destroying Nineveh. And I deem that a good thing. Number three. Do you see that Nineveh has repented? Oh, by the way, I deem that a good thing. 
Number four. Is the opportunity for repentance only offered to those you approve of, Jonah? Because my word says that I, the Lord, test the hearts. Number five. Jonah, are your thoughts on this matter greater than mine? Number six. After all you've been through, Jonah, is anger truly the right response here? Number seven. Jonah, what exactly is driving your displeasure? Motive check. Number eight. Jonah, what does your heart look like toward Nineveh? Number nine. Since you know me so well, why don't you take some of those character traits and apply them for your own benefit. Let's just start with slow to anger, abundant and loving kindness. Or number 10. Jonah, will you reconcile your will unto mine or will you continue kicking against the goats? Those are 10 starter questions that I believe accompany God's question right here. Is it right for you? To be angry? Think about the mercy of God in, in asking the question. See, His loving kindness is put on display. Gently loving, leading, guiding Jonah. Putting a question before him to consider in the midst of his anger. The next time you get angry, might even happen today. The next time you get angry, ask yourself... The same question, is it right for me to be angry? Is it right for me? I've already used it this week in the home. It's been great. I know there'll be a day when they'll ask it to me too. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, notice this, notice. Jonah doesn't answer the question from verse 4. At least not with his words. Look at the text. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So we have a right question from a merciful God. And right here in verse 5, a wrong response from an angry Jonah. Do you notice anything wrong with Jonah's response here? He does not answer the question directly. He will later. But for now, he simply takes action. He takes the high ground, the east side of the city, higher elevation. He's got him a good little view of the city. Makes himself a shelter. He's just sitting there in the shade. How long? The text says till he might see what would become of the city. That's an important part of the verse. Till he might see what would become of the city. His actions, church, his actions give insight into his response to God's question. His actions, you ever seen one of those cars... And families with small children, maybe you had one at one time. 
But you drive by and you see that little sign on the window that says, baby on board, little child on board. Neat sign. And I was thinking about that sign, and I thought, I got a sign for Jonah. I think with Jonah, his actions detect an anger still on board sign. And he's willing to wait it out. He's going to pitch his tent. He's going to wait for God to change his mind about all this. He's still waiting to see the fire of judgment fall on Nineveh. And I just pictured this stubborn man of God after hearing God's question. He doesn't give a response verbally. But he goes off. And he takes a seat. Makes himself a shelter. Gets comfortable. And he's going to take it all in. One writer said his anger had now passed the boiling point. It had settled down to a deep brooding resentment towards God and I suppose toward the people of Nineveh. He was hoping perhaps that God would think again and withdraw his forgiveness and still destroy Nineveh and punish the people. And that is the awful thing about resentment when it gets hold on us. We nurse it, brood upon it, hug it close to us. At the same time, it makes us increasingly unhappy and miserable because resentment towards anyone always hurts us more than anyone. We get angry and uptight about something or someone and instead of dealing with it right away, we allow it to fester within us, distorting our whole personality and making us impossible to live with and unable to worship God aright. You see, the natural tendency is for one to just say, I'm just blowing off some steam. I just, I just had to get that off my chest. Did you ever hear somebody say that? Maybe you say it. But see, anger not only affects the individual who harbors it, but it affects the person or persons upon whom your words land. And carrying around anger Deep-seated, long-lasting resentment toward another is a hindrance to your worship. It can drive a wedge between you and the Lord and distance yourself from His presence. Here's the alternative. Instead of getting angry at God, why not rest in knowing who He is and content yourself in God's good pleasure? Stop going the wrong way because it leads to a wrong destination. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You see, our wrong way of living, characterized by going our own way, characterized by sin, leads to death. But the gift of God, praise the Lord, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with that right response to God's grace and mercy in our life, is accepting Christ as your greatest gift, your greatest treasure, leading to everlasting life which you can have right now. Luke 9, 23.
Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Follow me. Don't seek your own desire. Don't seek your own heart. Don't turn to your own way. I believe it's helpful to remember Romans 6, verse 6. Our old man was crucified with him, with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Today, church, in terms of a response to the text, I hope and I pray that you would resolve today to get rid of the anger that is destroying you and those closest to you. Christ died to set you free. And harboring anger, resentment, bitterness of any kind, these things are obstacles in your way of loving God and loving people, the two things God has called for you to be about doing. Your anger is an obstacle obstacle to your worship. Your anger is an obstacle for loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Amen. Your anger is an obstacle for loving your children as he has called you to love them. Children, your anger is an obstacle to obeying your parents and honoring them in the Lord. Your anger is an obstacle to growing in the Lord, to making progress in the faith, spiritual transformation. If you need someone today, we're going to do this a little differently here this morning. If you need someone to pray for you about this, we're going to provide an opportunity this morning to do that. Don't let the sun go down another day on your anger. It's time to stop giving the devil a place to hang out. Jonah chapter 3 shows an outward obedience to the word of the Lord. Jonah goes to Nineveh proclaiming God's message. And then we see in Jonah chapter 4 how it reveals an inward disobedience. A heart still not inclined to the things of God. A heart absent of love for God and people. You might say, well, wait a minute. He had a love for God. He did. He carried out his word in chapter 3. But you know what? Here's what we know to be true from the Bible. If we don't love people, isn't that an evidence of our love for God? Not just the people that you want to love. The people that God himself loves. And we see God has a love for Nineveh. Church, God's way is the right way to go. His way requires, requires, not simply an outward obedience but it requires your heart as well. The question becomes, will you incline your will 
unto the Lord. And I was drawn to the second stanza in that hymn written by Fanny Crosby. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer, nearer. Let's pray. Father, I pray as the hymn writer penned those words, Lord, I pray that for each one of us that you would consecrate us unto thy service. By the power of your grace, divine. Let our soul look up with a steadfast hope and may each one of our wills be lost in yours. Reminded of Jesus himself when he was here. And in John chapter 5, he speaks of that very thing. of Only doing the will of his Father. That was the heartbeat of your son Jesus while he was here. Was carrying out your will. Oh, Father, I pray that we would learn from that. Father, as situations come... And anger starts to rise within us. Father, may we be reminded of this text. May we be reminded to ask the question. That loving, gentle, kind question that you asked yourself of Jonah. Is it, is it right for you to be angry? Well, Father, and I pray in that moment your Holy Spirit would convict us. That your Holy Spirit would turn us and point us toward the way that you would have us to go. And not the wrong way, which is our own way. I pray that we would not express our own heart, turn our own way. We see time and again in your word how going the wrong way takes us and leads us to a wrong destination. Father, I'm so grateful for your love toward us. And I do thank you for those character traits we see here in this text. I praise you for your grace and for your mercy. Praise you, Lord, that you are slow to anger. May we learn from you in that. I praise you, Lord, that you are abundant in loving kindness, that you are one who relents from doing harm. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your heart. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be inclined to be more like you. Father, we would walk as your son Jesus Christ walked. And we know that that doesn't happen on our own, in our own power and our own strength. But Lord, we need you. And ask your Holy Spirit to guide us. Thank you for your word, Father. Pray, Lord, that we would be diligent to seek you within the pages of your word. That even yet this week, Father, if there's any unresolved anger, bitterness, resentment, oh, Father, I pray that we would just give that to you that we would be able to walk without those obstacles in our way, that we would be able to worship you freely. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.